Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, a lawsuit against well-known preacher David Platt and the church he pastors, McLean Bible Church, has been dropped. We'll have details. We'll also talk about TV preachers and their books. Should they or their ministries get the royalties? We'll have some answers. And Explo 72 took place 50 years ago this summer. An event took place in Dallas last week that tried to capture some of the spirit of Explo. We'll have a report. We begin today with some of the aftermath of the Supreme Court Dobbs decision, the decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. Yeah, on Tuesday in early June, Christy Brown, who is the executive director of Mountain Area Pregnancy Services in Asheville, North Carolina, arrived at work to find shattered windows, a broken door, and red spray-painted text scrawled on the sidewalk. The graffiti there said, if abortions aren't safe, neither are you. We reported on that story a few weeks ago when it happened, but that hasn't stopped either Christy Brown or other pregnancy resource centers that have been targeted for attack. Yeah, that's right. In fact, some of the pro-life leaders we've been in touch with this week say this new era gives them unprecedented opportunity, though I don't want to make light of the dangers that clearly remain. Now, since the draft opinion was leaked, at least a dozen pregnancy centers like Mountain Area have suffered attacks. Many of them have been claimed by what appears to be a radical pro-abortion group called Jane's Revenge. With the formal announcement of the Dobbs decision on June 24th, uh, a week ago Friday, pregnancy centers in Lynchburg, Virginia, Longmont, Colorado, and elsewhere have been vandalized or set ablaze, just as centers braced for the influx of clients that they now expect to see in a post-row world. So what are pregnancy resource centers saying? Well, pregnancy uh, resource centers already outnumber abortion clinics by a pretty wide margin. It kind of depends on who you talk to, but uh, Karenette alone has about 1,200 uh, members, and then there's uh, Heartbeat International and, and then independent groups. There could be as many as 3,000 pregnancy resource centers around the country, far outnumbering, as I said, the number of abortion clinics. Uh, they have been uh, shuttering the clinics, the, the abortion clinics have been shuttering around the country in the wake of the Dobbs decision, some pregnancy centers are already moving to expand their services. One example, the uh, one I just mentioned, Mountain Area Pregnancy Services, said that they hope to start a foster care program. Some of them are planning to increase services for abortion pill reversal, uh, where doses of uh, progesterone are administered in an effort to halt pill-induced abortions, because we think that chemical abortions will probably uh, be more the wave of the future uh, in the post-Roe era. Brown urged pro-life Christians to support their local pregnancy care centers through donations and volunteerism, and she added that churches should be ready to welcome those grappling with unwanted pregnancies and reminded Christians to get out and vote in the November elections. Now, Natasha, I just got off the phone just moments ago with Roland Warren, who's the president of CareNet. And one of the things that he said was that pregnancy resource centers 
alone are not going to be the solution to the problem, that in fact it is the local church that is going to have to step up, and he believes that the local church is really the only institution that has uh, both the um, the manpower, the staffing, if you will, in the in the members of the churches, and also the biblical uh, worldview that will come together to be able to really deal with this issue. And I, I think he's right about that. Uh, now, Brown, though, added this, in our opinion, the need for workers in the field and the need for support is just beginning. Our next story is a significant development in one that we've been reporting on for a few weeks. It involves a controversial Montana preacher. Yeah, the founder of a controversial Christian website uh, known for criticism of evangelical leaders for being too liberal has resigned from his church for what they call serious sin. It's Montana Pastor J.D. Hall. He's no longer the pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Sydney, Montana, and has been removed from the staff of Protestia, which is a website originally known and probably best known still as Pulpit and Pen. While the church has not yet publicly acknowledged Hall's departure, as of last Sunday, the church's leadership page no longer listed him. Also on Sunday, Protestia issued a statement saying that Hall had resigned as pastor and is, quote, disqualified from pastoral ministry. And this is not the only trouble we've reported on lately. Yeah, back in February, uh, Hall filed for bankruptcy after being sued for libel for a story the Montana Gazette, another of Hall's publications, had run about a Native American activist. Then in mid-May, he was arrested for driving under the influence and carrying a concealed weapon while intoxicated. Our next story also uh, includes an update of some of our previous reporting. Yeah, five more alleged victims have filed civil lawsuits against Agape Boarding School of Stockton, Missouri, and the Baptist Church that supervises that Christian boarding school, bringing the total number of cases alleging negligence and abuse to 19. The plaintiffs in the newest cases, which were filed a couple of weeks ago, June 15th, in Vernon County Circuit Court, are all now in their late teens to mid-20s and are identified in court documents only by initials. They allege that they were physically and emotionally abused by multiple agents, servants, and employees of Defendant Agape from 2014 all the way up until earlier this year, April of 2022. Allegations in the most recent lawsuits include the school withholding food and medical attention and allowing sexual assault and other forms of physical and emotional abuse. Yeah, five employees of the school were charged in October of 2021 with a total of 13 felony assault counts for allegedly abusing students. The charges came after the Missouri State Highway Patrol investigated allegations of abuse at the school. Again, we had previously reported on those charges in Ministry Watch. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, a lawsuit against well-known pastor David Platt and his church has been dismissed. We'll have details. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. 
Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Our next story is about popular megachurch pastor, David Platt. Yeah, a year-long legal battle over a contested election at a prominent Washington, D.C. area church, McLean Bible Church, appears for now, at least, to be over. On Friday, a Fairfax County, Virginia judge dismissed a lawsuit by dissident members of McLean Bible Church who sought to overturn the results of an election for church leaders known as elders. Uh, Those dissident members uh, argued that church leaders, including senior pastor David Platt, who is also a best-selling author, had violated the church's constitution. The suit was dismissed with prejudice, and that means that the case cannot be filed again. Uh, The dispute at McLean Bible Church centered around a failed June 2021 election. The church's constitution requires that new elders receive at least 75% of the vote, and for the first time in McLean's history, a new group of elders had failed to reach that 75% margin. There were some other issues involved. What were they? Well, the election came uh, about the same time that there was simmering unrest in the church. Uh, Political polarization uh, of the wider culture had seeped into the congregation. There was a kind of a woke war happening within the evangelical world and within that church. A group of critics that runs a Facebook group called Save McLean Bible Church claimed that church leaders had substituted critical race theory and social justice for biblical teaching. Rumors had also begun to circulate around the church that Platt and other leaders planned to sell a church building to a local Muslim congregation for a mosque. Um, so they were, there were some a number of—that turned out not to be true, by the way, I should add. Um, COVID-19 also played a role. Some church members— who had been attending online rather than in person, claimed that their ballots had been disqualified. Our next story is, as you might say, a blast from the past. It's about an event that happened last week in Dallas that was hoping to recreate Expo 72, which has been called the Christian Woodstock. Yeah, Expo 72 is something that You know, I'm old enough to remember. I was about 14 years old when it happened. It was on the cover of Time magazine. It's now considered one of the defining moments of the Jesus People movement of the 1960s and 70s. Billy Graham spoke there. Campus Crusade for Christ, Bill Bright, uh, organized the event. Uh, Some estimated that as many as 70,000 people attended. This year, the total was a lot less. Yeah, it was a lot less, but it wasn't completely insignificant. About 10,000 people gathered to participate in Together 22 over the weekend in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Temperatures soared above 100 degrees. That might have kept the crowds down a little bit. It was an evangelistic event hosted by 
Pulse, and it took place in the Cotton Bowl, which is where Expo 72 took place, and it was focused on equipping the next generation to make Jesus known. Now, uh, while the in-person attendance was a far cry from the 40,000 people who originally registered, they did put this event online, which of course was something you couldn't do back in 1972. And they claim that several hundred thousand people actually tuned in for at least a portion of it online. The speakers at the event this year included Josh McDowell, Tony Evans, and Francis Chan, Christian artist Lecrae, Chris Tomlin, Jeremy Camp, and Crowder. Next up, A former Christian school principal and pastor has been sentenced in North Carolina to have up to five years in prison for engaging in sexual activity with a minor more than a decade ago. Yeah, the man's name is Jason Wesley Keller. He's 45 years old, and he was convicted in Davidson County Superior Court on June 15th of six counts of felonious sexual assault with a student and two counts of taking indecent liberties with a student. I should add that Davidson County uh, is where uh, the Piedmont Triad of North Carolina is, which is Greensboro, Winston-Salem, and High Point. And we got our original reporting from the Winston-Salem Journal. Unfortunately, Warren, these stories are rather common, so common, in fact, that when they are strictly local stories, we often post them on the website, but we don't feature them on the podcast. So what makes this story different? Well, I I wanted to mention this story because the victim initially reported the incidents back in 2008 uh, when Keller was the acting elementary uh, school principal and assistant principal at Union Grove Christian School, where she was a student, and he was also one of the pastors at Freedom Family Church in Liberty, North Carolina. But an investigation at that time did not lead to charges. Now she's an adult. Uh, The victim recontacted authorities in 2019 regarding the case, and Keller was arrested for allegedly having sex with a girl in 2008 and 2009. In July of 2019, he was formally charged with 10 counts of sexual activity with a with a student by a teacher, uh, school administrator, student teacher, coach, or school safety officer. And again, I wanted to feature this, um, Natasha, because we're seeing more of that happen. I mean, in the in the Me Too and the Church Too movement, episodes that are sometimes took place ten or fifteen years ago are coming into the news. Char- new charges are being filed. Sometimes it's based on new evidence. Sometimes it's just based on the victims being willing to uh, come forward when maybe they weren't willing to come forward earlier. It's a growing phenomenon. I think it's a result of the cultural moment that we're in. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing at all. Uh, I want to be really clear about that. Um, but it does kind of signal a new environment Uh, for both churches and ministries when it comes to sexual abuse. Warren, we're going to take another quick break here. When we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. 
Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, a few weeks ago, we started a new feature here at Ministry Watch. And that's the question of the week. Yeah, that's right. And now I think all of the questions and their answers are interesting, but I'm a little bit of a nerd in that regard. I wouldn't post them if I didn't think they were interesting in the first place. But this week, we have a question and answer that I think uh, we should pay particular attention to. And that question is, does selling a CEO's book on the ministry website create private inurement? Now, before we get to the answer of that question, can you explain what private inurement is? Yeah, sure. Like I said, I'm a little bit of a geek, so that word um, probably means more to me than most. But um, I think all of our listeners should know what private inurement means. It's a it's a legal term. It's used often in the nonprofit world. Private inurement can mean excessive compensation. But it can also mean when an insider, such as a senior executive, receives a benefit from the activity of the ministry. So, for example, if I wrote a book about fraud, um, that are some of the things that we cover here at Ministry Watch, which, by the way, I should add, I have written such a book. It's called Faith-Based Fraud. And I do it on Ministry Watch time, and Ministry Watch promotes the book. Then Ministry Watch should get the royalties, not me. If I get the royalties, that could be called private enormous. And by the way, I should add that that is precisely the arrangement that we have here at Ministry Watch. I do not receive the royalties from the books that I write that are related related to the work that we do here at Ministry Watch. The royalties for that book goes to the ministry and not to me. I would say that a vast majority of ministry leaders don't do that. They keep the royalties for themselves. Yeah, you're right. And of course, uh, you know, I'm not trying to make a blanket statement about that, but one of my mentors was Chuck Colson, uh, who founded Prison Fellowship and the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, where I worked for four years. And I think Chuck was kind of the gold standard in that. Chuck wrote, not only did he write books, he wrote books that were million sellers. Um, His book, Born Again, for example, generated millions of dollars in revenue. It all went to help support prison fellowship. And he did that with all of his books. And I've kind of considered Chuck to be, like I say, um, both a mentor and the gold standard when it comes to this. But you're right. Most organizations don't do it this way. Um, And that's why I think today's uh, or this week's question of the week and Don Kramer's answer is so helpful. And I recommend that all of our listeners check it out. Next up is the Ministry Spotlight. Now, this week we feature Free Wheelchair Mission. Yeah, Free Wheelchair Mission began uh, in 2001 uh, to provide free wheelchairs to the physically disabled poor in developing countries. In the past fiscal year, uh, ending June 30th, 2021, of course, we just now had a new fiscal year, but we don't have end, but we don't have data for that yet. Free Wheelchair Mission sent more than 47,000 
thousand wheelchairs around the world, and they train partners in how to assemble, maintain, and use the wheelchairs. Uh, since their beginning, they've sent more than a million wheelchairs to 94 countries, a pretty remarkable achievement. The ministry does about $10 million a year in revenue, and I should add that Ministry Watch gives it a donor confidence score of 95 out of a possible 100. That's one of our highest scores, and it um, means that they get a give with confidence, donor confidence score. And who did Christina Darnell feature in her Ministries Making a Difference column? Well, several ministries, but I want to feature two. Shelter for Life is an international ministry that provides long-term sustainable care uh, in conflict areas after that conflict has gone away. A lot of times, you know, we will um, get interested in a place like Ukraine or, you know, other parts of the world whenever it's in the news, but then whenever the news ends— Who's watching? Who's paying attention? Who is providing care? Well, one of those organizations is Shelter for Life. Now, there was a recent earthquake in Afghanistan, and they're reporting that all of their staff are safe there. Shelter for Life also has a donor confidence score of 95. Again, one of our highest scores. And I should also mention Mission Possible, which is a U.S. and Canada-based ministry that operates schools and churches in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. They educated more than 25 elementary and high school students in this past year and served about a quarter of a million meals. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, I did want to mention that um, our fiscal year just ended June 30th. Our fiscal year and many others, as I've already mentioned earlier in the uh, couple of minutes ago, uh, nearly 200 donations came in during the month of June to Ministry Watch. We didn't quite reach our goal of 20,000, but it was an ambitious goal, and we came really close, topping 18,000 for the month. So I just want to say thank you to all of you who gave. And at the risk of shameless self-promotion, I also wanted to add that I was on the NBC Nightly News this week to discuss one of the stories that we've been covering here in at Ministry Watch. It's the story of a Christian ministry in Florida that has allegedly defrauded the government of more than $8 million in payroll protection program funds. It's a pretty bizarre and outrageous story. We've been covering it for a while, and uh, NBC News saw our story, picked it up, and I'll have a link to that segment in the show notes. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Steve Raby, Kim Roberts, Bob Smitanya, Jesse T. Jackson, Catherine Post, Donald Kramer, and Christina Darnell. Special thanks to the website Church Leaders for contributing materials to this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.